this podcast episode is going to center around um, the way my work is evolving in my graduate studies journey um, and how much of that work is deeply inspired by the um, Black Experience course I'm taking with uh, Professor Sumero. So the topic that I'm going to be focused on in this podcast are African-Americans in performing arts, um, and then I will touch on the role of costume and hair um, and how that affects the related fields of embodiment, beauty, aesthetics, um, political theater. Um, and then I will focus on the area of specialization as 20th and 21st century African and African-American culture, performance studies, identity construction, oral history, and body politics. When first pitching this podcast episode idea to my professor, she kindly stated to me and the class that this final project is promising. But I've already seen so many mediums about black hair this and black hair that, especially from the black American perspective. What makes your work different? At first, my professor's question felt a bit alarming to me. I felt fearful until I remembered what she consistently asked the class after we each turn in a response paper or present a mock syllabi. She says, and Lauren, did you feel free when writing this? Simultaneously, I've learned to nod my head slowly and smile, knowing that I'm certainly still navigating what freedom looks like to me. However, I think part of the reason she asks questions like these repeatedly is not to receive a specific answer or response. Rather, I think it is because my professor would like her students to get into the habit and practice of identifying that feeling. What does a taste or lack of freedom feel like to me? Gradually, after a few months of thinking strategically and then freely, of course, I've decided to interpret my professor's initial question of what makes your work different to what makes this work necessary. Um, in this audio reflection, I'm really excited to explore how my work has evolved at the graduate level and how this course has been an incredible um, inspiration to me and working with my professor has been um, a very powerful experience for me. Um, we will listen to a clip on Nina Simone um, and her thoughts on freedom and how I believe she begins to define freedom for herself. Um, I will speak on a brief reflection that examines artistic depictions of blackness. And then I will happily share a segment of an interview with Professor Corcasal that solidifies the definition of freedom to me, which I think is rooted in um, one's natural power. So thank you for listening. Wish I knew how to be free I wish I could break all chains still binding me wish I could say all the things that I can say when I'm relaxed I'd be starting anew I wish I could be like a bird in the sky. Don't leave me. How sweet it would be to find that I could fly. I'd soar to the sun and look down at the
the sea, then I'd sing, cause I know how it feels to be free, then I'd sing, cause I know continue this podcast reflection i'm really excited to uh take the energy that listening to nina simone in one of our first black experience uh classes 
offered to me and I believe my, my fellow classmates. And I wanted to try to tie in her own question of what does it mean to be free? Um, when she asked her audience, um, what is it? What does it mean for her to say, well, I wish I could be like a bird up in the sky. How sweet would it be if I found out I could fly? Um, and there are parts of that that give me uh, the chills. And I'm committed to understanding how um, Black, African, and African-American performers have contributed to this work of freedom and identity and understanding themselves and their role in society. So... Um, to speak a bit more about my work um, and its relation to this course. Uh, the evolution of my work is beginning to examine research on ancient and modern artistic depictions of blackness. Um, in my research, I hope to take a deeper look into identity construction from an artistic perspective. Uh, for this reason, my work examines articulations of blackness from the 19th century to the 21st century as defined by uh, the work of classic scholar Sarah Devereaux. In short, my research is beginning to rely on a transatlantic approach as inspired by this course to explore Devereaux's interdisciplinary research in the fields of classics, performance, museum, and Africana studies. To begin reflecting on the work of ancient and modern understandings of blackness, it is crucial to highlight Devereaux's work that confronts the concept of blackness in ancient Greek sculpture. Um, it was really, uh, bizarre to realize that there are scholars um, beginning to discuss blackness and understand blackness from this very unique um, perspective. And I found that most of my interest in understanding these articulations of blackness um, is by comparing um, the representations from a modern lens to an ancient Greek lens and hopefully one day an, an ancient African lens. Um, and I'm excited to, to dive into that as well. Um, but in the meantime, it is important to note uh, the complexities of Devereaux's work and the ways in which she bridges the temporal gap between ancient classical studies and modern Africana studies. My hope is that my graduate work can one day mirror aspects of Devereaux's professional journey of uncovering articulations of blackness in Greek antiquity. Um, I believe that starting with a conversation on black hair as a launch pad into the greater concept of identity can help ordinary people uh, reconsider and challenge former and current representations of blackness. Uh, previously, I interviewed Dr. Corcassal in Dakar, Senegal um, for My Colorful Nana, season four, episode three. Uh, Dr. Sal's research focuses on negritude feminisms, Francophone black women writers and activists in France, Martinique and Senegal from the 1920s to the 1980s. Uh, her work reframes debates about the participation and conversation of Francophone women writers in the negritude movement. Um, I soon will explain how and why um, the ways in which I deeply resonate with Dr. Corka's work um, will help guide the remainder of this conversation. So one of the reasons that I wanted to include uh, Dr. Corka's um, academic journey into this overall reflection of my graduate work in its very first semester. Um, I really appreciate the way that Dr. Corka chooses to centralize aspects of humanness um, when working to understand concepts like Pan-Africanism um, and specifically, more specifically, Pan-African solidarity. 
Um, so when completing research for my final project, I found a um, academic journal that was reviewed by Dr. Corka Sal and written by, excuse my pronunciation, Titizi El Jaji, um, by an Oxford academic journal. So Dr. Jaji is an associate professor of English. Um, Dr. Jaji is a professor at Duke University with an expertise in African and African-American literacy and cultural studies with special interests in music, poetry, and black feminisms. Um, so amazingly, uh, Professor Jaji and Professor Sal worked together to write a paper entitled Africana in Stereo, Modernism, Music, and Pan-African Solidarity, and it was published in 2014. So I'm going to be reciting a small portion from the article just to get a better sense of what um, Pan-Africanism means in the context of this uh, short episode. At the start of the review, uh, Professor Korka starts to reflect on the ways in which Dr. Jaji is outlining her um, argument or reflection of what Pan-Africanism means in this specific context, as well as its relationship to Black solidarity. For instance, Dr. Corker writes, in mentioning the different forms of oppression and the solutions African activists adopt to fight against racism, Jaji invites readers to acknowledge and reevaluate Black solidarity. Um, Dr. Corker goes on to note the various ways in which Dr. Jaji explores Black cultural production, um, how she provides footnotes and chapter subtitles that illustrate the specificities of the archives that she is using. Um, Dr. Korka writes, Dr. Jaji makes them visible and accessible through translation of what Pan-Africanism really means when she says, setting aside the current structures of the African Union, Pan-Africanism's most clear mission in the 20th century was to hasten the end of colonialism, apartheid, and other forms of racism. In order for people of African descent on the continent and beyond to be able to realize full self-determination. The next term that I'd love to dive into is the concept of double consciousness. In the clip that we're, we're going to listen to next, uh, Professor Korka uh, mentions this word. And I go on to say, oh, like you hear these words often, double consciousness, pan-Africanism. Um, but I don't define exactly what it means in that context. So I will do it here. So after referring to the Stanford Encyclopedia of Philosophy, um, I'm just going to grab a little quote by them and the ways in which a double consciousness is defined. Uh, they focus on double consciousness from the perspective of W.E.B. W. Du Bois, um, who sees double consciousness as a concept in social philosophy, referring originally to a source of inward two-ness. Um, experienced by African-Americans because of their racialized oppression and devaluation in a white-dominated society. Um, and W.E.B. Du Bois initially uh, talked about this concept in his groundbreaking um, book, The Souls of Black Folk, in 1903. So for the last um, key term that I'd like to define throughout this episode, um, I'll focus on the idea of identity formation, um, oftentimes in my work, I use the word identity politics, identity formation. Um, we must consider the impact of one's identity. But I'm realizing that I've never really taken the time to define it or understand or attempt to understand what it could mean in a specific context versus a greater context. So I want to take the time to do that here. 
Um, so again, identity formation is a key aspect of my graduate research. In this portion of my work, I will refer to the cultural theorist Stuart Hall and his attempts to define central cultural themes that shed light on hidden mass media ideologies. Uh, gradually, I'm beginning to realize how as a scholar and a researcher, I'm very interested in individuals of African descent who have left their home countries and found seemingly cherished aspects of their identity abroad. So we spent a lot of time in class discussing this topic as well, this idea of movement and translation and understanding the self. Um, so I'm curious to... I'm curious as to how this form of movement allows Black individuals to find complexity in their existence and overall identity. When researching scholars like Professor Gorka and Stuart Hall, I developed techniques for close readings, interpretation of audiovisual media, live performance, and cultural theory. Uh, and lastly, by examining each of these methodologies and theoretical approaches, I was then able to draw parallels between representations of identity and more specifically, the ways in which individuals operate under the guise of their own understanding of natural power and freedom. Um, so now I'm really excited to get into the idea of natural uh, power. Um, so I hope that you enjoy this small clip of my chat with Professor Korka and um, you'll be hearing my voice soon. Okay, <laughs> thank you. There are certain things that are so important in life. Yes. Time. The value of humanity. I'm looking at you as a person. Mm -hmm. I'm not looking at you based on how you look, based on your skin color, based in your accent. I run a lot of workshops, like when I was at UMass, I was mm -hmm. part of student organizations just to try mm -hmm. to motivate people, especially those who are from underprivileged groups, mm -hmm. tell them that, you know what, you're worth it. You have so much to bring in this world. Please don't let this standard whiteness rules kind of characterize who you're going to be. You when did say this, no. when did when did this happen? Like when did you realize when did that click for you? When I was in my house in Senegal as a young girl. It started there. It started in my house. It started mm. in the way that I was brought up. It started with my father not being like the violent man as, you know, like the yeah. the, the, the the authority yes. of the house. Mm. I never seen that in my house. I lived in a very peaceful family where conversation conversation like discussion mm -hmm. you know discussion can't happen even it's just one person speaking mm -hmm. our father taught us the respect of the other opinion but also taught us how important our opinion is mm. you know what i mean i do know it got amplified as i grow up mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. when i was in senegal i used to be a student and find a job that's rare to see in Senegal, especially for girls. For You'd be day. like waiting for somebody to take care of you. And mm. I'm like, I'm not waiting for anybody to take care of me because I can take care of myself and my needs. Mm. I already know where I am going. I know it. How? How? It's a feeling. I think it's like a strength that your parents mm. need to teach you. Mm -hmm. Your interaction in within like, not just family, but like people that you interact with. They would have a positive impact on who you are, on your confidence. Mm. That is just there. Like, mm. and I have been, you know, like that's so present mm. in my family. So present that 
like a lot of things in this world wouldn't amaze me that much because I'm like they were not born with it. You are not born mm. with something. Yes. You work to get it. We were talking about how this podca- podcast was born, right? Correct. Was it the same like today? No. No. <laughs> I would never it was, imagine. Yeah, right? It was an idea that you had. And then you were like, why don't I try? That's what I love. Mm. I love when people believe that they can do it by themselves. Mm. I love when you believe in yourself because you have a natural power to decide what your life will be tomorrow. With a little push of mentors, of people pushing you, and a lot of role models that you're looking up to kind of, you know, copy. Mm. You just get there. Like, I am so proud to, to say that I am my mom. Like, my mother didn't go to school, but she taught us so much. That even, like, growing up, I'm never, like, I don't feel, I don't hesitate. I'm like, this idea is cool. Let me pursue it and see. If it fails, that's okay. Hmm. I'm going to try again or try it in a different perspective and see what what happens. Okay. So, first off, that was beautifully said, and thank you for sharing all of it. (laughs) Thank you. Another, another thing that I've been trying to work on um, and work towards is trying to understand how our personal narratives help us understand you know, our, our goals or what we're drawn to. I know that you, your research, I would love to hear more about your research. Um, I know that you do work on Pan-Africanism, you've done work on uh, negritude, double consciousness, um, all of these kind of uh, key words we hear if you read any African-American studies work, what do they mean to you and, and your decision to devote your life to understanding them mm-hmm. in relation to your, your story? I think what I mean to me is, first of all, my identity. Mm-hmm. Because if you always hesitate about who you are, there's a problem for you to find ground. You need to be grounded first. You know, to know who you are, to know what you want and why you want it. Mm. You know, like growing up in Senegal, I would speak Fulani in my house Mm. and Wolof Mm -hmm. and say that with my friends. At the age of seven, you go to school, boom, it's French. I'm like, why is this? This is not right. Yes. This is not how it's supposed to happen. Mm. Because I'm learning about Louis XIV in France. And I'm learning about French history. Mm. Why? Okay, so I absolutely love re-listening to my conversation with Professor Porca. It was less than a year ago when we got to the chance to sit down together. Um, but every time I hear it, it's a reminder to keep going and to push harder, but in a gentle sense, you know. Um, as Professor Corcus says, rely on your mentors, rely on people you respect, rely on your family. Um, so on a personal note, I want to spend more time doing that. But on an academic note, uh, as I reflect on this uh, conversation with Professor Corka, I began to realize how imperative it is for individuals to be able to confidently refer to multiple pools of cultural frameworks. There is beauty in choosing to shield aspects of our identity and growth in choosing to open our mind to other modes of thinking and feeling. In this case, I've briefly explored how my graduate studies research is evolving. When I refer to 
multiple pools of cultural frameworks in a more scholarly sense. I would simplify this choice or these words by saying, I'm beginning to use multiple disciplines like classic studies, Africana studies, um, studies on theater and politics, identity, multiple disciplines to expand the relevance of this work. Um, this academic choice has directed me to a fuller collection of research, specifically in fields I would never expect, like classical studies. Um, and this as a whole helps me and allows me to question the unique role of identity politics uh, in a broader context. In the future, I will move through these topics by continuing to reference the broader implications of interdisciplinary learning. Uh, what are the challenges of navigating different disciplines and departments? Why is forging an interdisciplinary concentration useful? And why might some institutions see aspects of interdisciplinary learning limiting? Uh, this work, to me, is necessary because studying articulations of Blackness through the performative lens of Black hair or other aspects of one's identity can help us sit with the complexities of existing. And that, to me, is free. Thank you so much for listening. Um, and thank you very much, Professor Shumero, for all of your support throughout the semester. It's been really exciting to create this, this piece and think about um, all the beautiful lessons I've been learning. still binding me, Wish I could say all the things that I can say when I'm relaxed.